today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. You'll notice on your bulletin that there's extra scripture there. Um, I have asked that that's provided mainly because if you're not able to participate in Monday, Thursday, and uh, Good Friday services this week, you'll want to read these passages so that you can have your spirit prepared for Easter Sunday appropriately. So uh, we'll just read today from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went out and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? untying that colt. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there's what we've been singing about There is the Palm Sunday. I promised the children I was going to make you do this. Everybody take your palm, hold it up in the air. All right. Say, Hosanna. Hosanna Hosanna to the Lord. Lord. Okay, good. If anybody tells those kids that we didn't do it, you could say, "Uh uh-uh, we did it. But I wanted you to hear yourselves as one loud group, and I wanted you to to see those palms waving because it puts a little life into the story. And one of my goals in preaching is always to breathe life into the scriptures, not that it needs my help, but if I can enhance it for you in a way that puts you there, then you can maybe begin to understand what's going on. And today's scripture is like that. This story is told in all four Gospels. And believe it or not, that's kind of rare in the Bible. In the Bible, there are three what we call synoptic Gospels that roughly parallel each other. And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John, he's the wild card. He has to do his own thing. He's got a different agenda. But even John records this story pretty much the same way as it's told in the other three Gospels. And this would make it pretty obvious to us that this is a really significant event a really significant event. And this story begins to lay out for us the week of Jesus's sacrifice. Basically, this event triggers the plan that has been in the works for perhaps a couple of years to do away with him. 
the religious leaders of Jerusalem had already decided that this guy was too radical, too much of a wild card, and therefore he needed to be dealt with. And the more threatening he became, the more certain that the best way to deal with him was to kill him. And so they had a plan, and pretty much every time Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, he was a marked man showing up in the place where he was most likely to be arrested. And Jesus knew this. Furthermore, Jesus knew that uh, he was fulfilling scripture and prophecy as he entered the city in the way that he did. And he understood, perhaps as only he could, because with the Holy Spirit and Father God, the word was transmitted to those who gave us the scripture. And so there is a sense that he wrote the plan and now he's executing the plan. He goes in on a donkey's back. It says colt, but if you are familiar with animals and, and things like that, you know that a colt can be the young donkey just as much as it could be a young horse, at least in this case, that's what we want to focus on because there's a significance to the fact that he's riding a donkey. And we'll talk about that a little more. They begin just celebrating the Passover the way they always have, but by the time Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, it had turned political. And there's some interesting lessons for us in that because there's a lot of things we do in church, for example, that start out with the best of intentions and then they turn political, right? It, it's funny how we can get sucked into that thing that becomes more human than divine simply because we are ignorant, in this case, they were ignorant, and yet they had very realistic expectations. They believed, as they used the word Hosanna, and as they greeted him, they were simply worshiping as the people came to the temple in this tradition of Passover. But as he got closer, the wording started to change slightly. Some things started to uh, happen that were making it more clear that they were looking to him as the one who was going to relieve them of their latest oppression and perhaps even drive their enemies out and make the Jewish people the top tier of leadership and all the Gentiles be subjugated by their authority. So in the Gospel of John, we get a lot of details that we don't see in some of the other accounts. And John the triumphal entry is clearly uh, preceded by Jesus being anointed with oil at Bethany. You know, whenever he came to town, he always stayed with his friends. You remember those friends, Math uh, Martha and uh, Mary and Lazarus? He stayed at their house in Bethany. Bethany's not very far from Jerusalem. And, and uh, he stayed at their house, and there was a woman who anointed him with uh, Nard, you remember that story? If you come on Thursday night, we're going to learn more about that, and you'll be amazed at how significant that really is and how oil plays a big part in the way that uh, uh, the stories of the Bible unfold, their significance to the different types of oils and, and their use in Scripture. So you'll learn a little more about that on Monday Thursday. 
And uh, after this very personal and intimate private event, then he goes into this very public scene. And, and I, wanna, I really want to paint a picture here with you in word because they're, they're coming down from the small village from a very intimate private gathering to a large corporate celebration of the Passover. And this is one of the main feasts that all Jews are expected to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And it's not like Jesus hasn't done this before. He's done it probably at least uh, 30 more other times, you know, and, and uh, his family was very devout. And so it's not unusual for Jesus in any case to be making this entry into Jerusalem for the Passover. And it was typical of people to sing songs as they approach the mount and approach the temple. And the songs they sang are those uh, psalms that you can read in your Bible. You know, Psalm 84 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And, and it's amazing as you read the Psalms that it will make these references to the heights of the temple itself and how the birds are even there to worship. And you can just imagine these people walking from a distance. And, you know, you know have you ever approached a city, say you're driving out west and you're going towards St. Louis and you come down the hill and you're down in that river valley and all of a sudden, even though it's miles away, you can start to see the top of the arch or you can start to see the tops of buildings and, and you know you're getting close. And the people would do that. They would be making their approach to Jerusalem and the temple was the tallest thing around until the Romans came along and built their Antonia Fortress. And that was very controversial because nothing was supposed to be taller than the temple, but the Romans wanted to make sure they could see what was going on down there, so they made it higher. And the people would see the heights of the temple, and they would sing these songs of praise for God, and songs that included words like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those were from the Psalms of Ascent. That's what we were talking about here. These songs they sang as they were ascending to the Temple Mount. And Psalm 118 has the same words they were saying in today's gospel reading. Jesus was a faithful Jew. He was probably saying these things too. He was waving his palms and celebrating too. The word Hosiana, Hosanna is a word that actually is derived to mean save us or help us. And so it sounds like they're saying, hoo-ha, yay, you know, but they're really saying, save us, help us. And this is actually a petition that they would have spoken in the presence of a king. And so people would, you know, in these kingdoms would go before the king. And as they were approaching, maybe even before they could see the king, they'd be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, help us save us and perhaps it's because you know there's an invading army off in the distance or something and so this is a way that people approached leaders and pleaded with them to help them but what's really interesting is that uh, as they get closer to jerusalem they're beginning to focus this towards jesus in a way that's different from when it was being focused by Jesus and the other worshipers toward the temple. The waving of the palms is something that goes back to the Old Testament. It's 
easy to read about it in the books of the Maccabees, which are in those apocryphal books of the Bible. So if some of you have a Catholic background, you've seen the apocryphal books in your Bible. These are books that aren't considered part of the actual canon of Scripture, but they're not discarded entirely because they have some really historically significant facts, including this reference to using palms. You see, Jerusalem has been uh, oppressed many times in its existence, and long before the Romans came and oppressed the Jews in Jerusalem, the Greeks had oppressed the Jews in Jerusalem. And not only that, but they had conducted certain worship services in the temple that were an abomination to the Jews, to say the least. And it's even similar to the same sorts of abominations that are predicted in the book of Revelation. And so in those stories of the Maccabees in particular, in the apocryphal books, you see references to some of the behaviors that are common in Jesus's day. But you have to understand that, that uh, even though those events aren't listed in your canon scripture, the reality is, is that they uh, are part of the recent history of the people. They still remember and still part of their tradition. And so they're simply doing a very normal and natural thing as they approach the temple worshiping in this way. But as Jesus becomes more visible and as the more politically minded Jews see him coming, they begin to set him up. And they begin to encourage the crowd to acknowledge him as the one who's going to overthrow the Romans, as the one who's going to overthrow the oppressors and bring Jerusalem to its prominence that it once knew under King David. And this is something everybody wants, but it's also a great way to make someone an enemy of the Roman government. And so they're already working their plan to destroy Jesus. And interestingly, Jesus turns the table on them with a simple, almost subtle act. In the same tradition that I've already described of the Hosanna and the Palms, a victorious conquering hero would not ride into town on a donkey, they'd ride in on a horse, a tall steed, they'd ride in on a chariot or some war vehicle of some kind, and they'd make their entry in a way that says, I am powerful. I am in charge. I have the authority. Jesus says, I want you to go find me a very young and essentially untamed donkey because I'll ride in on that. Do you know that one of the ways that conquering heroes would demoralize the people of the nation they conquered is that they would take the old king put him on a donkey backwards and ride him around in front of everybody. That was an insult. That was a way to say, this guy is a total loser. He's not in charge anymore. He couldn't even keep me from taking over his kingdom. The only thing Jesus didn't do in this case was ride backwards. But he came in on a donkey and everybody began to understand that he had a different plan than the one they were celebrating. I have to step aside a minute and tell you a funny story because it's getting intense. 
Last time I was in Israel, I had, you know, the, every time I go, I'm a little more independent and sure of myself, and I get bored with some of the lectures that I've heard before, and so I have a tendency to wander off, and, you know, I'm always within earshot, but... So I'm walking down the Mount of Olives by myself on the road that they always take you on and say, this is probably the entry way that Jesus made his triumphal entry. And, and I'm strolling down this lane by myself and it's like an alleyway. There's tall walls on either side and, and it's because there are private cemeteries all over the Mount of Olives. And I'm walking down through this narrow sort of alleyway and there's a little nook to the left coming up. And as I pass that nook, this man says, hello, you want a ride? And I turn and there's this gentleman with the big bushy mustache and he's wearing the Palestinian Arab robes and everything and he's got a donkey. And he says, you can ride Jesus' taxi. <laughs> and I said, I'll pass. I actually did pass mainly because I thought it was kind of sacrilegious, if you want to know the truth. But then I said, but I'd love to take your picture. And he says, for one dollar, you take my picture. <laughs> I handed him the dollar and he stuck it in the donkey's mouth. And I took a picture of him standing next to his donkey with the dollar in his mouth. Now, if you Google donkey man on Mount of Olives, he's all over that. This guy that I'm talking about, he's quite a fixture there because that's his gig, you know. But anyway... Jesus, a taxi, a donkey, comes into town riding a donkey, living the words of Zechariah, who said, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus knew what he was doing. And the people were beginning to sense that something was different. But here's where it gets really interesting. Because Jesus is choosing very carefully not only how he gets into Jerusalem, but where he enters. He enters through a particular gate of the city. And it's the gate that goes nearest to the temple. And he takes a certain path around through the gate and around the temple that is exactly the way they march the sacrificial animals in. Because this is a place where, especially at high holy days like Passover, thousands of animals are sacrificed. Each family brings a sacrifice. Each family brings something. And he brought himself in on the donkey in the same route that the animals take to go to the temple to be sacrificed. Now, we understand that better now that it's been explained. They understood immediately. Those people understood because he said, nope, not coming in with laurels, not coming in with a big shiny sword and a giant steed or a chariot. I'm coming in on a donkey and I'm coming in the same way the animals of sacrifice come. And so Jesus makes it very clear in a singular event that he is not there to do what they thought he was going to do. Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus came 
for the reasons that they expected, but the victory was not the one that they anticipated. In fact, they can't really expect evil in the people that they are being oppressed by to change anything. In other words, they can't expect him to do away with the symptom of evil and then evil really be vanquished. And so what they don't understand is, is that like all good generals, Jesus has recognized that the first victory over sin and death means you conquer the head. You cut off the head in order to defeat all the rest of the creature that is the essence of evil. In other words, Jesus came to the temple to defeat Satan to defeat the source of evil, to defeat the one who causes certain peoples to oppress other peoples, to defeat certain forces, you have to go to the source, the energy that drives them. And so Jesus has done something here that didn't make any sense to them, but it makes eternal, everlasting sense in the way of God and the kingdom of God. They honored him as they should, but they missed the point, and sometimes we do too. Now, I'm going to wrap this up here by just reminding you that this event triggered the wrath of the Romans. It triggered the things that we will recall as we go into this holy week and the terrible things that Jesus endured. And by that, I don't mean the physical things. As you come to the Monday Thursday service and the Good Friday service, you'll begin to recognize, as I have, that there are things Jesus endured that we'll never really understand because there's more going on than his physical suffering. There's more going on than his sacrifice. There is something so supernatural and significant in the eternal realm that we're not fully able to grasp it because of our human limitation, but this is the most significant event in human history. Because evil has been cut off at the head, and it's just a matter of time before everything that is evil will come under his authority, under Jesus' authority. You want to know something interesting? When you read through Revelation with me, you will find that Jesus does come on a horse one day with a sword. He does come to conquer and to defeat the enemies of God. That will happen. But first we have to acknowledge that everything Easter is about is about being saved from the source of all evil, the very nature of our evil, sin. Therefore, we can join with Isaiah, who says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. What are you going to look for this week, during this holy week? 
What do you expect to see? I hope your expectations have been changed a little now. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word now burned upon your people's hearts so that they'll be changed. Not because of what I've said. In fact, blow away the junk that came out of my mouth so that all they hear is what came from you. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen.